Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 2 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me Jay Ferber, who has written many comics for DC, Marvel, as well as creator-owned, including Venture, Noble Causes, and Copperhead, which is set to return in March. So thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, before we get into some of your recent work, I'm really curious how you were first initially exposed to the world of comics. I think I got to comics after watching Saturday morning cartoons like Super Friends and Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends in the 80s and discovered comics just on my local spinner rack at my local pharmacy. I was aware of comics, an occasional reader, until I picked up an issue of New Teen Titans, issue 25 by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, which really grabbed me by the throat. It was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen and dealt with DC characters that I knew, but in such a more interesting and deep way than I ever saw on the cartoons or the other comics. And from there, I've just been a lifelong reader. And obviously the Teen Titans are huge. Were you hooked at that point? Oh yeah, for sure. From there on, I was a Titans fan for decades. Comics in general, but Titans in particular, very much hooked. And I can remember one summer, I don't think I could drive yet, so just begging my parents to stop at any pharmacy they could because I had to find the new Teen Titans annual that wrapped up the Judas Contract storyline. I couldn't find it anywhere. It took weeks, if not months, till I finally found this thing. And it was worth the wait. And now, obviously, besides Teen Titans, which I love, and you're a big Teen Titans fan, what other comics were you reading? I was reading X-Men when I was a kid. I read Alpha Flight. That was the first comic I ever started with number one. So it was the first time I ever felt like I got into the ground floor with something. So I had a soft spot in my heart for that. I was reading Legion of Superheroes, New Mutants. I was a big team book guy for the most part. And now, being a team book guy... How did you get into writing comics? Even as a kid, I wrote and drew my own comics. But it wasn't until college that I realized that I didn't really have the artistic chops that I should really focus on writing. So I did. And even then, I wasn't sure whether it would be comic books or novels. And after college, I got involved with a Teen Titans fan group called Titan Talk. This was before the internet. You would mail in stories and commentary and just fan group kind of stuff for the Titans. And it was there that I started writing short stories. Stories featuring the Teen Titans characters and made some friends, one of whom was Devin Grayson, who was also in there. And she went on very quickly to become a writer at DC. And then I followed in her wake and she was kind enough to hook me up with some editors and that sort of thing. And it was from there that I got the editors to take a chance on me and actually give me my first jobs at Marvel and DC. And to talk about your Marvel work, one of your first major books that you worked on was Generation X. How did this come about, and what was it like working on Generation X? My first job at Marvel was a fill-in issue on What If, which had been canceled. So I literally wrote, I think, the last issue of that run. And then I got asked to do a fill-in on Generation X. And then shortly thereafter, they were making a creative change and wanted me to pitch on the book to take it over. So I put together a series proposal, and they chose me. And it was fun. It was interesting. I was not a Generation X fan. I had never really read the book as a fan, so... My only exposure to it was reading it as research for the book. So it was very different than writing a book where I had a built-in appreciation for the characters. This was something that was really a job. But I think it helped me see the characters in the world with fresh eyes, without the sentimental attachment to it. So I had a lot of fun on the book. And now you had to do research to get caught up to speed with the creative change. How did you go about doing your research and how much guidance did you have? In terms of the research, it was literally just going to my local comic shop, Xanadu Comics 
comics in Seattle and buying back issues. Even then, Marvel, occasionally they might send like Xeroxes of comics, but for the most part, you were on your own to just buy your own comics to do your research. And in terms of guidance, the editor who hired me has since become a good friend, a guy named Frank Pitterisi. And there was a lot of guidance. He had a direction in mind for the book that I catered my pitch to. We did a thing where we turned the Massachusetts Academy into a public school that human kids attended. And so the mutant kids were attending it in secret amongst all these humans. And that was something that I believe Frank initiated. So there was editorial guidance and direction, but it wasn't heavy handed. I still had a creative voice and incited a lot of the stories on my own, but there was definitely editorial guidance there. And now throughout your run on this comic, you worked with Terry Dodson. What was it like working with him? Terry and his wife, Rachel, who was inking the book, were fantastic. I just loved working with them. I was living in Seattle at the time. They were down in Portland. And so we got together once or twice and hung out and they were just super. Both of them are such phenomenal artists. It was great. We had a great time. And now Generation X obviously deals with mutants and it deals with that entire section of the Marvel Universe. How did what you were doing in Generation X affect other titles such as the X-Men and possibly New Mutants? <laughs> I don't think it really affected them, especially because Generation X was kind of a second or third tier book. So if anything, we were affected by the flagship X-Men books. I don't really recall any crossovers that we got involved with. But to my memory, there wasn't a huge effect that we had on other books. And now another Marvel title you worked on was New Warriors. And you started this with issue zero. What was it like working on New Warriors? That was the opposite of Generation X in the sense that I had a huge appreciation for that book. So I was definitely approaching it as a fan first, which I enjoyed. And it was a painful birthing process on that book because the editor who hired me to initially pitch for the book ended up getting laid off. And then the book got shifted over to another editor. So we revamped what the concept would be. And then he either got laid off or got fired or quit, I forget which. He left, and this is all before the book came out. So then it ended up being a third editor, Bobby Chase. It was with Bobby Chase who actually published the book. So the book went through a few different variations with different lineups and a different premise, and then we finally got one that, that worked with Bobby. It was fun to check it off my bucket list, but it was very frustrating just because, as a fan of the book, I had things I wanted to do and storylines I wanted to tackle and characters I wanted to write, but editorial had different ideas, and so I was butting heads a lot with what I wanted to do versus what they thought was in the best interest of the book. I'm a big old school Titan and New Warriors fan. I was a fan of long story arcs that would start small and pay off a year or two down the road. But given the climate of Marvel at the time in the 90s, there was no guarantee the book would be around that long. So I was always discouraged from doing anything that would have long-lasting effects like that. Anything I set up in one issue, they would want me to pay off one or two issues later. So it was a much more rapid, short story arc approach that wasn't bad. It just wasn't really the kind of story I wanted to tell them. And as a fan of comics and with the New Warriors, and we're going to talk about the Teen Titans in a few questions, how do you separate yourself as a fan from being a professional writer on the comic? Ultimately, you just have to do the job. They're not my characters. They're Marvel's characters. And the editor of the book is the shepherd of those characters. So ultimately, they're the boss. And you try to find creative compromises. But ultimately, you just have to turn off or at least diminish that fan side of your voice and just try to do your job. And there are times where it just doesn't work. 
York Titans, which we're going to talk about, was one where I just didn't agree with the editorial direction of the book and ultimately left because as a fan, I didn't like where the book was going. It's tough. Sometimes you can find a happy balance and other times you can't. And now before we get to Titans, I want to talk about another title you worked with at Marvel, which was the X-Men prequel to the movie, The Wolverine original graphic novel. How did this opportunity come about and what was it like working on this movie tie-in project it was interesting and that was something that was just offered to me they did a few of them they did three or four of them and they just offered me the wolverine one it was a little frustrating i think i got a copy of the movie script but ultimately the script i was working from and kind of based the graphic novel on was an outdated script so i was basing it on plot points that never actually made it into the movie so you have this comic that's supposed to be a companion piece to the movie and it's based on a story point that never made it into the movie so it's kind of a weird thing that never quite fit and i think it was just a matter of the left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing but it was fun to write wolverine and do you know how this graphic novel was received even though there was problems with the movie and the original graphic novel completely matching up i don't really remember how it was seen movie tie-ins like that i don't think are ever fan favorites i don't honestly remember any huge reaction to it either way and now, besides this, you've been writing for Marvel. You wrote countless comics, including Captain America, Iron Fist, Iron Man, other Wolverine stories, some new mutant stuff. How are you typically approached for all these different characters in the Marvel universe? For at least part of that period, I was living in New York, so I would visit the Marvel offices fairly regularly. Literally, there were times where I'd just be in the office and they would say, oh, hey, this book's behind schedule. Can you write a fill-in this weekend? Or can you dialogue an issue by Monday? That kind of thing. So some of those gigs were literally just right place, right time. Others were getting to know an editor and let's find something to work on together. So it was a combination of me approaching them and them approaching me, just knowing that I was available and part of the Marvel family at that point in time. And now I want to shift into DC and talk about the Teen Titans, because I love the Teen Titans. You're a big Teen Titans fan, and you came in at issue 25. What drew you to the Teen Titans? literally the comic that got me into comics. So I just have a huge appreciation for those characters and that kind of superhero soap opera storytelling that Wolfman and Perez helped pioneer was something that just spoke to me. So to get the opportunity to revisit that was a dream come true. And how did you initially get approached to write? That was something because of my friendship with Devin Grayson. She was writing the book. She had relaunched it as Titans. And I think we co-wrote a few issues. She brought me in to co-write a handful of issues with her that was sort of like a transitional period and it got me FaceTime with Eddie Braganza who was editing the book at the time so I got to know him a little bit and then he just asked me if I would take over the book because she was leaving and I think I had to write a pitch or maybe we just talked about it but it worked out and we brought in Paul Pelletier as the artist and slimmed down the cast and then unfortunately Eddie was only on the book for three or four issues and then they reshuffled the structure at DC and Titans was given to a different editor Eddie and I were both big fans of the book. So we were on the same page of what it should be and what we wanted to do with it. And Andy Helfer, the new editor that took over, was not a Titans fan. They had no sentimental value for him. He had no real appreciation for that book. So he and I were really at odds in terms of what the book should be. I really wanted to try to recapture that feeling of the Wolfman Perez era that was lost on him. So he would always try to push me in a different direction. And ultimately, I just left the book over it. How did you 
feel when you left the book, considering that you're this huge fan and you want to really capture this thing that people really gravitated towards? It was tough. Honestly, I think I should have left earlier than I did. I stuck around longer than I should have. Because Andy's big idea for the book was to introduce these trainees, younger kids who had powers, and the Titans became their mentors. And the Titans were then relegated to being supporting characters in their own book. And the fans hated these new kids. I hated the new kids. It was not well received. I shouldered most of the blame because I'm the writer of the book. And it was a weird position to be in, to be writing a book where I agreed with all the criticism of it. And that's why I think I should have just left sooner. I stuck it out longer than I should have in the hopes that Andy and I would find some middle ground and we just never did. And now while working on the book, you did develop some very interesting plot lines and some major development with the Teen Titans. How do you feel that that affects what has happened in the Teen Titans today with the show and all the other comics and the Jeff Johns run on it as well? I honestly don't know. I don't think anything I did really made that big of an impact in terms of stuff that would be brought back. But honestly, I don't really read the book anymore, so I've lost touch with what's being done in it. Maybe my stuff has been referenced, but I honestly don't know. And then to talk about the Teen Titans, and I have to ask, because anybody who's a Teen Titans fan, do you have a favorite team member? Probably Nightwing, but it's tough. The appeal to me of a super team is the whole ensemble. So he's probably my favorite, but to me, it's about the alchemy of the group itself. And do you have a favorite lineup of the Teen Titans? It would probably be the classic Wolfman Perez lineup of Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Changeling, Cyborg, Starfire, Raven. That lineup, to me, is the Teen Titans. I want to change gears again, and before we dive into some of your creator-owned work, I want to touch upon Robotech and your work on that series. I'm trying to think of how I got involved in that. Because I was a Robotech fan. I watched the cartoon as a kid and really enjoyed it. I honestly don't remember if they approached me or if I just heard about it and approached them. It's been so long, I honestly don't remember. And while working on this, it's an anime. It was licensed from Japan. It was changed from Macross to Robotech. What was it like adapting an anime into a comic book? It was interesting because we were doing sequels and side stories, so I wasn't really having to adapt anything so much as fill in the blanks and come up with additional material. So it was cool to play in that sandbox. And you worked very closely with Tommy Yoon. What was it like working with him? He was great. I love Tommy. He's such a Robotech resource just in terms of the history and the characters, and I enjoyed being involved with him on that project. And obviously growing up watching this, being a fan of it, and writing the comic with the guy who is the Robotech guy. What was that like for you as a fan of the show? It was cool. Because the show was such a weird product, because it was this Japanese thing converted to English and rewritten completely and with three different series that they tried to tie into one thing, didn't have the kind of purity that the Teen Titans had in terms of a creative vision. But it was still cool to be in that world and to go to the Harmony Gold office in LA and just be involved in that stuff is very cool. Anime fans, they can be very critical. How do you feel if you know how this comic was received considering that Robotech has such a big fan base. That's another one that I don't really remember how it was received. I think it was received pretty well mainly because of Tommy Yoon because he's such a beloved spokesman for that company and that brand. And being that you're a fan of the show and you were working on this comic, did it change anything for you with this show and your memories of the show? I don't really think it changed anything. I ended up as one of the perks of that was I got a whole box set of the DVDs and I watched it again, and this is still like 10 years ago at least. And honestly, as much as I loved it as a kid, it didn't really hold up for me. Watching it as an adult, I can appreciate it, but it wasn't quite the same experience. 
And then the other comic I want to talk about that you worked on was Vampirella. And everybody loves Vampirella. How did this opportunity come about? Vampirella came about because the editor at Harris Comics at the time, a woman named Maureen McTeague, had been the assistant editor on Titans when I worked on it. And she and I always got along great. And when she moved over to Harris, she just started feeding me work and asking if I wanted to write Vampirella stories. And I just loved working with Mo. So I was always eager to do that. And she offered me a lot of creative freedom. Could pretty much do whatever we wanted with the character, which was a lot of fun. And obviously Vampirella is one of those legendary characters in comics that people absolutely enjoy. What was it like for you to have the ability to even play around with this character for a few issues? I'll admit the character is not one that I ever read. I don't think I ever read a Vampirella story until I was approached to write one. I knew she was popular and a long-lived iconic character, but I had no real familiarity with her. But that said, it was cool to delve in fresh, kind of like I did on Generation X. And now I want to talk about something that is really interesting. I think that industry is going this way, is that you've done a lot of independent creator-owned comics. What was the impetus for you to go out and create your own comics and create your own worlds? The impetus was really my experience on New Warriors, on having creative instincts that I was continually told I couldn't follow in terms of I want to do long subplots and being told, no, you've got to wrap everything up in the next issue. So Noble Causes, my first creator-owned book, was me just trying out what would happen if I followed my own instincts creatively and did a superhero book that had lots of subplots and lots of soap and had the villain of the month as a background element and you just foregrounded all the soap opera stuff. So it was really kind of a natural extension of what I enjoyed about Titans. And I just wanted to see, would this be received well or am I crazy? Maybe the editors at New Warriors were right and we should not be doing long stories like that. And to my gratification, when the book came out, people really responded to it. There were people who got it and really appreciated that kind of soapy format that I was going for. So it helped validate that my instincts aren't completely askew. There is an audience for this kind of stuff. And then once I got a taste of that, if you look at my work, once I started doing Noble Causes, I hardly ever do work for hire after that. Creator-owned comics, it's just such a different kind of drug. It's hard to go back to doing stories with characters that I don't really control. And now to talk about Noble Causes, when it first came out, it took a while for it to get off the ground, and there was a lot of mini-series with it, and there was a lot of one to four, and then there's another one to four. What exactly happened, and what was the journey of getting it all the way up to second volume, which was the longer story arc? I think it was originally launched as an ongoing, and Patrick Gleason was the artist. And after four issues, he was starting to get notice at Marvel and DC and wanted to take advantage of those opportunities. And so I think at that point, we thought it would make good business sense rather than just have a new artist start with issue five to start over with a new issue one with a new artist and do the Hellboy model of a series of miniseries, just with the belief that a new number one will get you more readers or more attention every story arc. We tried that for a while and then ultimately we kind of reassessed and thought that no, for this kind of book, since I'm doing a soap opera, it should be a long, continuous series. And then we just decided to roll the dice and try that, which is what got us to launching the true ongoing series with Fran Bueno as the artist. And he stuck around for about a year and a half. That's where the book really started to cook, in my opinion. And we did 40 issues in that run. And now, how does all the mini-series, which was the first launch of the book, set the foundation for the 1-40 to 40 long story arc? They definitely do. They are all connected. And these days, if you read them in trade, it's just the first three miniseries or the first three trades. And then the fourth trade is the first story arc from the ongoing. So it is one 
continuous series. Each of those first few miniseries are integral to the story. And how did you feel if you felt any different between the mini arcs and doing the 1 to 40 issue? Doing the longer one was the regular series was a little more my style. But even then, because of the trade paperback format, I was still writing in arcs because I still have to think about how would they be collected in trade paperback. It's a balancing act between making the monthly reading experience a good one and making the trade paperback reading experience a good one. It wasn't quite the huge sprawling saga that Teen Titans was because that was written in a time where there were no trade paperbacks. So they were literally just writing month to month with no thought about how the stories would ever be collected in longer editions. And now to speak on that point, I'm very curious, when you go and you write, are you always thinking about the monthly experience versus the trade paperback and how a story will be collected later on? I'm thinking of both. That's the challenge, is to reward both audiences, the ones who are reading it every issue, so that they get a compelling reading experience every month, and so that the trade paperback audience gets a semi-complete story in each trade. So that trade paperback does seem to have like a beginning, middle, and at least somewhat of an ending. So it's not just, here's a trade paperback that's just a chunk of an ongoing story. The best analogy, I think, is a season of television. When you watch a season box set or a binge a season on Netflix, usually in a season of TV, it builds to a season finale. Even if the show's going to come back next year, there is a sense of conclusion. So you want each trade paperback to mirror that experience. And now, out of Noble Causes came a spinoff, Dynamo 5. What was the inspiration for developing the spinoff? It was really just this high concept idea I'd had and was trying to find the right place for it. I considered doing it at Marvel or DC or Wildstorm. The idea that a powerful Superman-like character dies and his widow realizes he's been unfaithful and that he's fathered a bunch of children, each of whom have inherited part of his superpowers. And now these kids have to team up to protect his city. I just wanted to do that book. Once I became entrenched with the Image family, it made sense to do it there. And it was one of the biggest books of my career. So I'm glad that it happened. It was a fantastic experience. And why do you think it was one of the biggest books of your career so far? I just think it was a combination of incredible art from Mahmoud Asrar, who created the book with me. And I think that concept is just a great concept. And I think we really executed it well. Mahmoud and I just got along great and worked really well together. And I just think we put together a great series. And now in 2011, this book was reissued as an image first $1 line, for lack of a better word. How did that make you feel as a creator that it was included? Included in that set of books that Image released. I thought it was great. It's another opportunity to get new readers, to expose the book to people who may not have seen it yet. So it's great. I love when Image does that kind of thing. And now the one that I think that everybody wants to know about is your latest work. And obviously you've done a lot of greater own comics, but the one that I absolutely am in love with and how I know you as a writer is Copperhead. How'd you come up with the space opera Western? That was an idea, another one that I'd had kicking around in my head for a long time. The one sentence log line was really just Deadwood on an alien planet. I just wanted to do a western town populated by aliens. And the sci-fi western is not something new. That's been around since Star Trek. Star Trek was pitched as wagon train in space. But so many of these space westerns, to me, were always mobile. It was Firefly and Star Trek and all these other shows. The characters would journey from place to place every week, every story. And the difference with Copperhead is I wanted to 
have a stationary story where the characters in the town was stationary and the stories would come to them every issue. A new character would come into town and bring a story with them or something would happen to the existing characters. I just wanted to take that Western archetype and do a sci-fi twist on it. And I had been talking to Scott Kadleski about doing something together and ran out a few ideas for him. And I mentioned this space Western and he just latched onto it and we just started spitballing back and forth. So it was a true collaboration, a true co-creator situation where I had that germ of an idea, but we really fleshed out the project together and the characters in the world and how it all worked. And now what I like about Copperhead is the fact that you have Clara, who's this very strong female, but she's very well developed and there's more than just her gender being pushed out there. Was that intentional or did the story develop itself and the characters develop themselves? Clara especially was pretty intentional. That was something, and I honestly don't remember if it was me or Scott, but we were talking about just having this lone sheriff and I forget which one of us thought that it would be cool if she was a woman and a single mom. So she came fully baked in terms of we knew her character just from talking about her before we dropped her into the story. Copperhead was set for 10 issues and you took some time off and now it's coming back. What was the impetus for you taking time off? The time off was really Scott had some other opportunities he wanted to explore. He got some work from Vertigo. He really wanted to do that so we took a break and hoped that he would be able to come back and just pick up Copperhead without too much of a delay but obviously that didn't happen and so then we finally made the tough call to have another artist come in and take over the monthly duties on the interior artwork and we were lucky enough to get Drew Moss whose stuff is just fantastic and he's in the same zip code as Scott stylistically I think but very much his own artist he's not trying to do a Scott Gunleski impression but I don't think it will be too jarring a change for the reader when the book comes out and now being that it's been what almost two years or so how do you feel that that hiatus is going to affect this story and affect readers and affect you as a writer I am concerned honestly we're all very anxious about whether the audience will still be there because anytime there's a big gap in a book like this it's easy for people to just lose interest and to write you off but signs have been encouraging online on Twitter that the book is coming back I'm hoping that we can retain most if not all of the existing audience I don't blame them for being incredibly frustrated for how long the book's been off the shelves we aren't happy about it either I just hope that they're willing to come back and give us another shot Drew is really killing it on artwork and he's already drawing issue 15 now so he's way ahead so the book's going to be on track for a while and now we gotta talk what can fans expect this is the time to sell it in the next story arc issue 10 ended on a cliffhanger of the copperhead male who we had never really met he'd been kind of an elusive figure he's murdered and so this next story arc is Clara investigating his murder at the same time we set into motion in, in previous issues that this mysterious figure named Clay had escaped from prison and we don't know details but he's bad news for Clara so he is on a collision course with Clara he will be showing up in Copperhead before too long Clara's old police colleague from her previous job a guy named Lieutenant Ford also shows up in Copperhead so we spent the first 10 issues raising all these questions about Clara and her backstory and now that the book's coming back we're finally going to start answering them so we're going to find out her backstory why she had to take this job in Copperhead what drove her from her last job what some of her demons are we're not going to really get into it too much in the first story arc it's going to be more in the second but stick with us and we're going to get some answers and we're going to finally shine some light on Clara and really understand what makes her tick and really put her through the ringer and we're also going to be evolving her relationship with Boo everybody's favorite surly deputy they're going to undergo a bit of a status quo change that I think will be pretty interesting and make for a new dynamic in the book and now I think we only scratched the surface of your career and you've worked in 
so many facets of the industry from Marvel to DC to some independence. What advice do you have for people who want to get involved in the comic industry? I think in a weird way, I think it's a good time to get into the industry, especially with the digital world, with digital publishing and online comics and everything. There's just a lot of opportunity. And when I broke in, the internet was just getting started. And now there's so many opportunities for collaboration with artists and colorists and writers all over the world. Most of the people I work with are in different countries and I've never met them face to face. So there's a lot of opportunities out there and I think it's exciting. And because of digital, there's no real gatekeeper anymore. If you are a writer and you find an artist and you guys have an idea, you can just do your comic and do print on demand or publish it digitally or whatever. You don't have to rely on Marvel or DC to publish you. So my advice is to just follow your passion and if you want to make comics, just make comics. It really is that easy. And a lot of guys have gotten their start that way, just making their own comics that they self-distribute. If they're good, this gets the attention of the quote-unquote real publishers. I wouldn't get hung up on trying to get your first job at Marvel or DC to start small. And then finally, we, we spoke about Copperhead, but do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website, comics coming up soon? Copperhead returns in March, issue 11, so definitely check that out. I have a new image series coming out sometime this year, but we haven't announced it yet, but stay tuned, a new monthly. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just at jferber, at my name. And when there are things to announce, I will announce them. And the other thing I'm working on that's taking up a lot of my time is I'm writing producing the next season of Zoo, a CBS television series that has its third season debuting this summer on CBS. That's where you can find more of my work. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode, and you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcast. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as you can follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics for all updates regarding this podcast. Till next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.